Amen. Check this one out. You ready with this, Bobby? Oh, he's ready big time today. Hey, when it comes to theologians and Bible teachers, let's admit it. Most of them would uh, strike out when it comes to soul winning. But not this guy. Listen to this. His story begins with his heritage. His father was a pastor of a local church for 64 years. That's wild. In one church? Whoa. 64 years. His mother was the daughter of another pastor. Great heritage. And even though he was the fifth child and the only son among 11 children, by the age of six, six, he was already studying Latin. And by the age of seven, he already had gotten saved. Then by the age of nine, through his rigorous homeschool training, he was already composing papers on the nature of souls. In fact, by the age of 12, he was already writing about revival like a seasoned saint. And by the age of 13, he entered Yale University because he'd already learned Latin, Greek, and Hebrew. And then, of course, later he graduated as valedictorian of his class. Then after that, he took on a pastor where he wrote in his diary, listen, I made salvation the main business of my life. And he made a resolution, listen, to, quote, never do any manner of things, whether in soul or body, that does not tend to glorify God. And it was during this time when God raised up this man that there was a great deal of vulgarity and looseness in America and even in the church. And so this young pastor preached a sermon entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, based on Deuteronomy 32, which says basically, it is mine, God speaking, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. In due time, their foot will slip, their day of disaster is near, and their doom rushes in upon them. And the words of this preacher in that sermon so gripped the audience that day that they felt that if he should stop speaking, the doom he pronounced would immediately come upon them. And they stood up and they screamed and they cried aloud and they even laid hold of the pillars and the braces of the church building. Okay, apparently feeling that at that very moment their feet were slipping into the fires of hell. And they got saved in mass. But that was just the beginning. Throughout the night, almost every house in that town, men and women could hear. You could hear them in the town crying out to God to save them. And before it was over, in that day alone, over 500 people were saved. In fact, it didn't stop there. Soon it spread to other towns and numerous revivals broke out in other places throughout America and continued for several years. In fact, the heavenly power of God swept through that one town to over 150 towns and cities. And for the next 20 years, the fires of revival, true revival, blazed across our great great country leading tons of souls to Jesus Christ, radically spiritually altering our whole nation. The man's name, of course, is Jonathan Edwards. Interesting. I'm glad you didn't say Chuck E. Cheese. I'd have to lay hands on you. Okay. <laughs> bad intern. Bad intern. Okay. <laughs> but how many guys would say, listen, Jonathan Edwards, now that's awesome, man. And that hits home because that's right here in America. That's one of the two genuine revivals that radically altered our country for Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you like to be that Christian? Listen, that God uses to do it one more time. Wouldn't that be awesome? That's a life worth living for. But once again, folks, you know our study. What's the problem? Most of us today as Christians, we read the Bible in one hand, we take a look at our life in the other. And what are we doing? We're going, man, there's a disconnect here. It's not matching up. It doesn't compute. How come these Christians like Jonathan Edwards, how come they get to have this great fruitful walk with Jesus? And here I am fumbling around the dark. I don't have this life worth living for. I get up. I got life worth giving up. You ever been there as a Christian wondering why? Okay, but folks, this is the great news, okay? That life worth living for is available to every single Christian. Once again, turn to somebody and say, hey, that means yes, even you. Yes, you, Bobby, that's right. Okay, and that's why we're gonna continue our study, a life worth living for. And what we're doing is taking a look at these keys that I believe are pivotal if we're going to live those lives that are amazing and fruitful for Jesus Christ, just like, believe it or not, 
Jonathan Edwards had. Now, we already saw that first key was experiencing God's joy. It's a free gift from him. Why? Just for us? No. So that we could be those joyful examples in a joyless world leading souls to Jesus in these last days. Isn't that awesome? Okay, then that's not all. We saw the second key was experiencing God's peace. He's not only given us his joy. He gave us a wonderful two-bang punch. He's given us his peace. So now we get to be peaceful examples in a peaceless world, especially in our world today. Have you noticed it's a little messed up and it's getting worse? We're living in the last days. So here we are walking around being full of God's joy, God's peace on top of everything else he's given us, leading souls to Jesus like a moth to a flame. And it's a free gift from him, okay? Then we saw uh, the third key was experiencing God's worship, okay? And that is a life that is grateful and thankful for all that God has done for us, right? That God is with us, that he saved us, that he rescued us, okay? But what's the acid test? We all know the right answer. Yes, I'm thankful for being saved. What's the acid test? How do you know you're worshiping God and being thankful? Runs with your mouth, Right? It's the mouth. The mouth is the acid test, right? And we saw the antithesis of being a worshiper of Jesus, okay, is a life of complaining. Okay? And so far, we've seen the harmful effects of complaining is it doesn't just affect you, okay? It affects others. And last time, hello, it affects the gospel, right? Think about it. This is the whole heartbeat of this section, okay? When we live a life of complaining and whining and crying about everything, folks, instead of being thankful and grateful, and there's lots to be thankful and grateful about. Number one, we saw last week, you're being a false representation of a Christian. What it means to be a follower of Christ, which the key word there is hypocrisy. You're being a hypocrite, a hypocrite, okay? Not a good witness for Jesus. And second of all, you're also following the way of the world. This is what the world does, but we're not of this world. We're living for the world to come. We're acting like, listen, hey, there's something better to live for, isn't there? But well, we show that with our mouth, okay? But when you whine and complain because you didn't get everything you... Heaven comes later. How many times has God got to tell us? That's the way of the world, okay? And that doesn't lead people to Jesus. It basically says, listen, he ain't working for you. Why do I need him? It affects the gospel, okay? Now, here's the fourth one that we're going to deal with, the final one. Complaining, believe it or not, it affects God. Uh, let, me, let me say that again because this is very serious. Complaining affects God, okay, in this aspect, okay, and the first way it does is that basically when you complain, do you realize this is what we're doing? This is what we were saying in the face of God. Now, I don't mean it affects God and some like he somehow changes because God doesn't change. It's called the doctrine of immutability. Let's say that. Man, you guys are awesome, even though I asked you to say that, but thank you for trying, okay. <laughs> Where's that drummer? Where are you, Robert? Help me out here, okay. It says God is wrong, right? That's how it affects them, okay? And believe it or not, this is the same lesson that the Israelites had to learn. Excuse me? When just because something doesn't go, you, you, like, like God's taking a vacation from you as if he doesn't know what he's doing? That's what the Israelites need to learn. But again, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God's. Let's take a look at this encounter. Exodus chapter 16. Let's take a look at this. Genesis, Exodus, chapter 16. Now, as you turn there, you got to understand the context of what's going on here. When they actually do this, when they start whining and complaining against God's provision. Okay, this is right after he uh, not only delivered them from Egypt, before he delivered them from Egypt, you got all the plagues, all the miracles that Moses did to give a sign to Pharaoh, let my people go, let my people go. And here comes the plague of the frogs and the plagues of the, the, the blood and the gnats and all this stuff and the, the death of the firstborn and God provided for Israel over and over again. They saw that. 
We read this, but they saw that. They lived it. They saw his provision. And then they get out into the desert, and oh no, they're being chased by the army. What's God do? He parts the Red Sea. That really happened. They saw that. We read that, but they saw that. They saw how he supernaturally rescued them from that. And then they get out of there, and the next thing you know, they, they come, they're thirsty, right? And so they come across some water. They're excited about it, but it was bitter. So God supernaturally changed the water and made it drinkable. Yay! I mean, time and time again, God supernaturally said, hey, just follow me. I'll take care of you. You should be so stinking excited. I, I, I delivered you from Egypt, from bondage, from sin. Woo! I didn't get the food I wanted. <laughs> and they broke down just like that. <clears throat> Had a complete meltdown. But that's after the context of all that provision. And then here comes this one. I can see if something was... Anyway, verse one. The whole is not just some of them, man. Again, as we saw, complaining affects other people. It spreads, doesn't it? The whole Israelite community uh, sent out from Elim and, and, and came to the desert of Sin, and which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community what? Grumbled. It's murmur. Against who? Against Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites said to them, listen to this. Remember the context of all God's provision? This actually came out of their mouth. Every person. Except for Moses and Aaron. If only we had died. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. I mean, whoa, 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 whoa. God is omnipresent. He sees everything. He's everywhere. He hears everything. Do you know what they just said to God? God, you rescued me from sin, from bondage and slavery. One little thing didn't go my way when I wanted it. I was better off before you saved me. Whoa. If you were a parent and your kid did that to you, what would you do? They would be deeply impressed. <laughs> they actually said that to God. If only we had died there. If only we had died there. If only the Lord's hand in Egypt. There at least we sat around these pots of meat. We all the food that we wanted. But you, you brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. God heard the whole thing. What's he say? The Lord said to Moses, all right, how many times I got to do this to you guys? I'll rain down bread from heaven for you. The people go out each day and gather up enough for that day. And this way I'm going to test them to see if they will follow my instructions. And on the sixth day, they're to prepare what they bring in. That is to be twice as much because they were uh, not to do any work on the Sabbath. So twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening, you're going to know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning, you're going to see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against what? Him. <laughs> in fact, hello, let me clue you on something. Who are we? Who are we that you should grumble at us? Moses also said, and you're going to know it was the Lord who gives you meat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning. Because he says that a second time, he, God, has heard your grumbling against who? Him. And he says it again. Who are we? Oh, in fact, it, 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 can I be blunt with you? Guys, as your leader, you are not grumbling against us. Oh, you're taking it out on us. But you're grumbling against the Lord. Because who's providing for him? God. And the silence was deadly. 
After all God did for the Israelites, brought them out of Egypt, all the miracles, all the provision, all the ways that he provided for them, they hit one challenging time. Granted, guess what? Welcome to life. Not everything's going to go your way. They hit one little challenge. Bang! Just like that, man. Even after all God had did for them, what did they do? They started to whine and complain. Now, here's the illusion, because this is what we do today. You see, they took it out of Moses and Aaron, right? Right. You guys, you guys are the one who brought us out of here, right? It, but but what, what did they clue in on? Not once, but twice? Oh, you could take it out on us, right? You, you could vent on us. But you're really grumbling against God. You're really grumbling against God. And folks, I'm telling you, this is something I don't think we realize as Christians. As a child of God, do you realize? I'm not making this up. This is from God. Uh, something I, we all need to learn, myself included, when we whine, when we complain, listen, against something or someone, because that's what we do. Oh, I'm not complaining against God. I'm just upset about this circumstance or that person or how this turned out or what they did to me or didn't, blah, blah, blah. No, you're not. You see, you tell yourself that. You rationalize it. But ultimately, who are you grumbling against? God. Has not God promised to take care of us, Christian, just like he did with the Israelites? Has not God led us out of bondage in Egypt, the life of sin, just like us? Has he not led us into, if you will, the promised land through Jesus Christ one day? Praise God, we're going to heaven. Woo! Then we need to learn the same lesson. The same lesson. After all God has done, listen, not for the Israelites, now it's about us. Can you imagine how hurtful, how because the scripture says we can grieve the Holy Spirit, who is God. How grievous this must be to him. How many times, has, has God ever delivered us from a trial? Raise your hand as a Christian. And if you don't all raise your hands, you're a mannequin. <laughs> but I still love you, praise God. <laughs> and here's a little boy, just like the Israelites, did God just deliver them one time? No, and, and let's be honest, how many he's done it so many times, we don't even remember them all, do we? So here's it. How many times God has delivered us again and again and again and again? Can you imagine? And then all of a sudden, one little thing doesn't go our way. Let me give you an analogy. Because there is a word to describe this behavior. And, and I think it'll make sense when I put it in this context. You're at the grocery store, right? right? You're walking down the aisle. Maybe it's your, you're at Walmart, right? And you've been lost for 18 days trying to find the exit. I don't know. So you're on there Christmas shopping, right? And you do your thing, right? You're around the corner, right? And what do you do? You see that young mom, right? She's all frazzled, man. And she's got this, they're going down the cereal aisle, right? And, or the candy aisle, it makes it even worse, right? But they're down the cereal aisle, right? And they got this little kid there, right? Boy, girl, doesn't matter. And what's the kid do? Oh, mom, I'm so grateful for your provision. You always provide what's good for me. I'm just so thankful and they talk like that, apparently. I don't know. But anyway, so no, right? They want Cocoa Crunchies or whatever this stuff is, right? And what's mom say? No, you're not getting Cocoa Crunchies. And the kid says, absolutely, I submit to that. <laughs> no, what do they do? Now listen, you're watching this. And have you ever seen this? Right, in the store. You're watching this whole thing. He's going crazy. They're on the floor. They're doing this. They're throwing this. They're throwing Now, number one, there's a word that goes to your mind, and it rhymes with brat. Yes, you know what the word is. What a stinking brat. And then, you know you can't do it because you're afraid of a lawsuit. 
But part of you as a Christian wants to help that young mom out. And if you could, you'd like to help him out. On the bulbous part of the body that just happens to be right there in the mid-back section. Spankings, right? Do you know that God watches us wherever we go? Not just in the grocery store, when we go to work, whatever aisle we're in. He watches us in public. He hears us in public. And you know what, Christian, when we whine and complain, you know what we're acting like? Spiritual brats. A spiritual brat. I got to thinking about this this week. You know, sometimes, it's, you ever get a spanking from God? Yeah. Well, the rest of you who didn't raise your hand, it's coming. Okay. <laughs> Be encouraged. <laughs> you get a spanking for God, right? Right? And sometimes I wonder about this this week. Okay, you ever thought about this? Yeah, we think, oh, it's because of that big sin. I don't know. We went out and did this obvious big sin, and that's, I'm sure that's why I got a spanking for that one. You ever wonder the reason why we keep getting spankings is because maybe it's our mouth? Something as simple as that. But see, that's what we do. We do like the Israel. We rationalize the way. We take it out on the experience or the person or that thing or the deed or the situation. No, you're complaining against God. And you're acting like a public brat. And he loves you. No. That's not how my children are supposed to behave in the public eye. You're supposed to emulate me, okay? And, and the good news is, the scripture says, if you're tired of getting spanking from God, when things don't go your way, you need to praise him. Okay? Did you realize that there's only two times in your life, Christian, I'm going to narrow this down for you, that you need to praise God. One is when you're alone. The other is when you're with somebody. <laughs> it's all times, right? Now, granted, it doesn't mean you just praise God in the good times. God's honest with us. Sometimes it ain't going to go your way. And that's why he says when you praise him, sometimes it's called a sacrifice of praise. Okay, because sometimes it ain't going to go your way, but you praise him anyway. Hebrews 13, 15 through 16. Through Jesus, therefore, let us once in a while when things are positive... Oh, I'm sorry, wrong translation. Uh, continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others for what? These sacrifices, what does that do to God? Woohoo! he's pleased with God, right? God's pleased with those kind of sacrifices, okay? So the Bible says, listen, God doesn't want to hear from his children a bunch of spiritual brats, a life of constant complaints. He wants to, granted, listen, just like the Cocoa Crunchies. You may not get what you want, but God knows what you need. You trust him and praise him anyway. He doesn't want to hear a bunch of constant complaints. He wants to hear a life of constant praise. Thank you, God. They're not Cocoa Crunchies, but I got food in my gut. You're taking care of me. I'm not starving. I got food. I got clothes. I got shelter. God says that life, he's pleased with that. I'm pleased with that. I'm pleased with my child. Notice the word there, sacrifice. That's key, right? It, it implies that, guess what, Christian? Sometimes it's not going to be easy. Sometimes it's going to cost you something. Sometimes, listen, it, it, it's, you're going to have to refrain your mouth from doing what you want to say. And again, not just in the good times, but even in the rough times, like the Israelites had to learn. And I really think that this is our, if you will, New Testament exodus. 
in this context. The word exodus in the Old Testament means the way out. And I think that what God's trying to tell us, Christian, here is the New Testament Christian, listen, that there is a way out of your problems. And the way out of your problems is not the avoidance of them, because guess what? You can't. Heaven comes later. You're going to have problems. Just welcome to life. But God's trying to show us the way out of our problems. Listen, it's not the avoidance of them. The way out of your problems so you don't succumb to them and so that you don't listen. Not just be a bad witness, but you get sucked down and destroyed by your problems is to praise God in the midst of them. Let, let me do it again because this is the crux of the study. God is trying to show us the way out. I believe that the way out of our problems is not the avoidance of them because you can't. It's to praise God in the midst of them. And he'll set you free. He'll set you free from that negative, rotten mindset and you get back to praising him. Now, I've shared this before, but real quick, I'm going to give you two examples and move on to the next point. I had to experience this. Again, I was about a year old in the Lord. Right? You know the beginning of this study where I told you my sister, two weeks old in the Lord, she challenged me and she says, hey man, stop your whining and complaining, little brother. You need to make up your mind right now. Who are you going to glorify with your mouth? Is it God or is it Satan? Remember that? About a year later, I found myself in this crazy mindset, man. It was like, a, it was like the Adams family uh, uh, camped on top of my head, right? It was, I was like depressed, right? I was, it was like depressed for like two days, man. I was just like, Bleh. it was it gloom, despair, and agony. I, was just, I couldn't see the light of the day. It was horrible. I was like, Bleh. And you're thinking, well, swifty dude, oh, Pastor Billy, so what? Hey, listen, I don't know about you guys, but me being depressed, one, but being depressed for two days, that's not normal, okay? I'm usually kind of, you know, goofy and chock full of, you know, corny humor and stuff like that. And in fact, I kid you not, it's not only when I get sick, which is a rarity, praise God. It's only when I get like seriously deathly sick that I even come close to winding down. And for some reason, Brandy has a good time at that time. <laughs> I saw you, honey. No. <laughs> Everybody was partying in our house. Oh, I'm sick. I can't get out of bed. No. But I'm serious. <laughs> That's not normal for my personality, right? And so I kid you not, I was like the second day in the depression, right? And it just kept going on, right? And if you ever get to the point where it's like, man, now I'm starting to get depressed about being depressed. On the second day, and so I'm sitting, I'm getting up. I was in Bible college at the time, going to school at night. So I was working full time during the day. So I'm getting up in the shower. We live in this little Cracker Jack apartment thing that we lived in. We we're on the second floor, right? And so I'm in the shower there, and I kid you not, I'm starting to get depressed, thinking about the whatever. I don't even remember what it was. It was getting me all depressed necessarily. And I'm just, and all of a sudden, I kid you not, I didn't hear a voice of the Lord, but the phrase went through my head Hey, can't you still praise me? Whoa. Can't you still praise me? And it was enough just to arrest my thinking, my train of thought. And so I said, okay, all right. And so I started singing a song to God. Okay, I'll praise you. And I've got to admit, folks, to be honest with you, at that point of where I was at mentally and spiritually, I didn't want to praise God. The very thought of praising God was a complete foreign concept. That had not entered my head in quite some time. I didn't feel like it, okay, but I had nothing to lose. So I kid you not, I'm in the shower there, and I start singing that first song. And it was completely perfunctory. It was mechanical. It was just, just pure obedience. Like, not a good attitude, by the way. And I don't remember what the song was. I was like, something, but it came out something like this. I got the joy, 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 joy. <laughs> where? Yeah, where is it? I don't know. I got the joy, joy. So I moved on. singing that for a little while, right? And something. But I kid you not, I kept going, right? And uh, I moved into the second song, and all of a sudden, something began to click. Right? 
So, hey, wait a second. My attitude is starting to lift a little bit there. And it began to change. By the third song, I kid you, I'm still in the shower. I'm praising God at the top of my lungs, man. I'm shouting out big time. I'm shouting, right? And I know our neighbors down below loved it. You know, at least I hope they did. Uh, but anyway, so I'm, I'm praising God. But listen, listen, all of a sudden, bang, it was gone by that third song. I mean, it was gone. Adam's family hit the road. I mean, it was awesome. Hee-haw, shuts you off, right? It was like, whoa, I'm back, I'm back. Why? Because my object of worship had changed. The singing, the praising God in the midst of that, it forced my mind the lifter of my head, it forced me to focus on God, not my situation, not my feelings, not my depression, not whatever it started, that crazy black hole. It put my focus back where it needed to be. Now again, when you're in that state, that's why it's called a sacrifice of praise. Because you're so deep in that state, you don't want to do it. But you do it anyway. And that's God's way of leading you out of the mess. Now, was it because my problems went away? No. It's because I did what God said to do. By his grace, his mercy, and his spirit, I gave him a sacrifice of, uh, of praise. God has never promised us a rose garden, Christian. Heaven comes later. But he doesn't leave us hanging high and dry. He shows us that, listen, when life doesn't go your way, listen, it's still okay. Praise him anyway. Because if you don't keep your mind on things above, this earth will drag you down. But the way out is to praise him anyway. And you can keep the proper mindset. In fact, I'm not the only one that learned this. I've shared this before, but so did Horatio Spafford. Listen to this, true story. Horatio Spafford and his family were members of Fullerton Avenue Presbyterian Church. And Spafford and his wife had learned what it meant to completely trust God in every situation. First, the Spafford's only son was killed by scarlet fever at the age of four. And later, Horatio had invested heavily in real estate on the shores of Lake Michigan, but every one of those buildings was wiped out by the great Chicago fire. So aware of these tolls that these disasters had taken on his family, Horatio decided to take his wife and four remaining daughters on a holiday to England and then travel throughout uh, Europe. Yep, just before they set sail, a last-minute business issue forced Horatio to delay. So not wanting to ruin the family holiday, he told his family to go on ahead as planned, and he'd catch up to them on the other side of the Atlantic. However, their ship never made it. It collided with the English sailing ship and sank within 20 minutes. And even though Horatio's wife, Anna, was able to cling to a piece of floating wreckage, all four of their daughters were killed. And the next thing you know, Horatio receives this horrible telegram from his wife. It only it was two words long that simply said this, saved alone. And so Spafford immediately boarded the next available ship and to be near his grieving wife. And during the voyage, I kid you not, the captain of the ship had called him in and said this, I believe we are now passing the place where the ship was wrecked and your daughters died. He's literally floating over their grave. He's a brother in Christ like you and I. This really happened. Now listen. So he returned to his cabin and he pinned the lyrics of a great hymn of praise to God over their grave. Maybe you recognize the words he wrote down that day. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come. Let this blessed assurance control. Here's the main point. 
that Christ has regarded my helpless state and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. Now that's a sacrifice of praise. And how many times have we sung that song and we have no clue what was going on behind it? I know, Bobby, this might be a surprise, but he didn't pin that at Chuck E. Cheese. He didn't pin that when he won the lottery. Got this huge inheritance. His business ventures turned around and he's a millionaire. It's well with my soul. Over the grave of his daughters. Can I tell you something? It set him free. And how many times, Christian, you and I today, have we sang that song, still not even knowing the context of it? And it set us free for that moment in time. Because that's what praise does. That's why you praise God when you're alone and when you're with somebody. He keeps your attitude and your object to worship where it needs to be. Because you can't. Listen, the way out of our problems is not the avoidance of them because you can't. You praise God anyway in the midst of them. And he leads you the way out. God is not wrong. God is always right. But when things don't go your way, Christian, you trust in him that he only does what is right, and you praise him anyway and be set free. Amen? The second thing that we're going to see that complaining affects, flip it around, because when you're not only saying, unfortunately, God is wrong, you're saying somebody else is right. And that would be Satan. And that's exactly what he did in the Garden of Eden, and that's what he still wants you and I to do today. Let's take a look again at that text, Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 5, the fall of man. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say? Isn't that typically how it goes? Things are going great, but you run into something that you weren't really expecting. What's the first thing that Satan throws in your head? What is God? It's doubt. Is this, is he what? Doubt. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, yeah, we may eat, tree, uh, eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die. Now he calls God a liar. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows, he's holding out something on you. Listen to me. I've got it right. God's got it wrong. That's what, in essence, Satan is saying to Eve. Listen to me, God, no, he's, he's got something, he's doing something sneaky. He doesn't really love you. Listen to what I gotta say. Because see, see, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. He doesn't know what he's doing. That's in essence what he's doing uh, to Eve there, okay? The very first weapon Satan used to get Adam and Eve to sin against God was the weapon of doubt. And it's the same thing with you and I today. We're gonna hit hard times. Okay, how do we even get into that depressed mode in the first place? Because somewhere along the line, bang, you doubted God. I doubted God. God says, no, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I'm always right. I only do that which is right. I know what I'm doing. I know it didn't go the way you thought, but trust me. Praise me anyway. Have a great day. But we give in to doubt. But what about? No. Who do you think suggesting to you that God is no good? He won't meet your needs. He doesn't care about you. If he loved you, you wouldn't have to be going through these circumstances. You ever hear that voice? That's not the spirit of God. That's the flaming doubts 
of the evil one. Day after day after day, he riddles us with accusations, trying to get us to join him in shaking a fist at God in the form of complaints. It's back down to the heart of our study. It's about worship, right? This is what my sister was trying to get through my head so long ago. Are you going to worship? Right? When the flaming doubts come your way, no, no I'm going to worship God. Or are you going to give in to the flaming doubts? And in essence say, yeah, God's not wrong. Or God's not just wrong. Satan's right. God's doing something that ain't right. He's not. Do you see how serious this is? Now we're attacking the character of God. And believe it or not, folks, this is the same lesson that Job needed to learn, right? But Job did not sin with his mouth. See, we miss that part. We don't realize that when we attack the character of God in the form of a complaint, we're sinning with our mouth. Let's take a look at Job. Now, you understand the context of Job, what was going on, right? Because right? He, he lost it all. He lost all his finances, he lost his possessions, he lost his kids, and his friends, there were supposed to be three comforters, there might as well have been three torturers, right? Oh, it's some secret sin as you do, and just make it even worse. And with all due respect, even Job's wife said, hey, curse God and die, he's all alone. And he lost it all. But look at his response. Look at his amazing response. Job chapter one, verse 20 through 22. At this, Job got up, he lost it all and tore his robe and shaved his head and then he fell on the ground and he whined and complained. We would have been better off in Egypt. We had pots of meat if I... I should listen to my friends. No, no. My wife's got it right. I just need to... Do you see the word here? How many times do we read this and we skip over this? He worships God. He worshiped him. So he busted out a guitar or a ukulele, whatever they had back in the day, and he sang a song. No, he worshiped him with his mouth. It wasn't a song, it's what he said with his mouth. Naked I came from a mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be what? Praised. And listen to this, this is what we skip over. In all this, it isn't just that Job did that. But it tells us the antithesis if he didn't do this. In all this, Job did not sin by what? Charging God with wrongdoing. Do we get it? When we whine, when we complain, just because something didn't go our way, instead of trusting God, we give into the doubts, the flaming doubts of the evil one, and it's just, it's just, you're charging God with wrongdoing. You're basically saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know how to take care of me. And I'm going to whine, I'm going to shake my... That's what the devil wants you to do. See, because every day when we get up, this is what my sister was telling me, you got a choice to make. You're going to worship God with your mouth, no matter what comes? Or are you going to join the devil in shaking a fist at God? What are you going to do? When Job was pierced with grief, more grief than you and I could ever shake a stick at, Worship came forth. I'm a worshiper of Jesus. Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a worshiper of Jesus. We say that, right? That's Christianese. We're supposed to say that. 
How many of you guys worship Jesus? You're probably scared to raise your hand, right? But you worship Jesus. I'm worshiping Jesus, right? All right how, how do you know? What's the acid test? Now he's telling us it's not just what's coming out of your mouth. Oh, here's the ultimate test. When you're pierced with, oh. I worship you, Jesus. I don't understand what's going on. This hurts. But you know what? Naked I came. Naked I'm leaving. I'm taking nothing with me. You gave, you taken away. I trust your sovereignty. I know what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing. I, I may never find out this side of heaven what you're up to, but you know what? I worship you. You were so worthy of worship. You have rescued me from eternal damnation and hell. I'm so stinking thankful. You told me already it was going to be rough before I even get there, but you're with me wherever I go. I worship you. That's a worshiper of Jesus. That's your acid test. Not when everything's going your way. It's when it's not going your way, and it keeps not going your way, and it gets worse and worse, and you lose everything. But when you're pierced, worship. Because did you realize, Christian, that sometimes God is going to break your plans? Have you learned that yet? And how many times have you learned this? I've learned this. After it's all said and done, after we did our little tantrum, <laughs> rolled on the floor spiritually, because <laughs> it didn't go the way we wanted it, or we thought it would be, or we thought it was the best. Sure enough, after the dust settled, how many guys actually had said this coming out of your mouth? Praise God, he didn't do it my way. <laughs> right? How many times have we done that? Right? He knows what he's doing. If he breaks your plans, he does it for a great reason. Okay? And I want to share with you in closing, this is a real uh, cool, this is a true story. A guy named Nikolai, he's a worship leader like Kim in Romania. Okay? And his true story, he's a Christian, great, he was do, he's serving God. He wasn't doing something illegal. He's serving God, right? And he's write, writing worship songs. He's got a new wife. He's got a young baby and living in a decent house. And right there, living the dream, serving Jesus. And all of a sudden, bang, they come and they take him away to jail. Oops, I didn't see that coming. That wasn't in my plans. But you're going to see his life, true story, put to music. And you're going to see that, listen, when he's in jail for being a Christian, he resisted. He had that moment. Oh, God, this isn't what I would plan but as soon as he surrenders to it, that's when the real worship service starts. That's when many souls start getting saved. Let's take a look at his story. Then he gave it all to Jesus. 
my heart. Cause me to love you no matter what goes on in life. When you and I Christians, like he did in jail, submit to that. And all of a sudden your eyes are open and you see so many opportunities to bear fruit for Jesus. But until we submit to that, we miss the blessing. I don't know if you've ever had your plans broken. But I had mine busted. And I had mine busted when I was in New York. And I didn't understand what God was up to totally. And we didn't have the answers. And things even seemed to got worse before they got better. But I, right now... I'm so stinking thankful that he busted my plans because he's bearing so much fruit now. It blows me away. 
And it's true for all of us. Just because life isn't going your way. God, break my plans. It's not about me. This is your life. Change my heart. That no matter what goes on, whether I understand it or not, I am soft and pliable. And use my life as a worship service, leading many souls to you. That's a worshiper of Jesus who worships him at all times. Let's be that church. Let's be those people. Let's Las Vegas see that. And I guarantee you, tons of people will come to Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? 
Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell, and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. 
He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.